Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you might be. It is 0900 on July 21st, 2021. Holy crap, it's been a crazy week in cybersecurity. There's been so much going on. I don't know if I can even get this done in 30 minutes or less, but um, I'm going to cover as much stuff as I can that I think is applicable in the space in the next 30 minutes. Um, you should go out and listen to lots of other way smarter people with all the other information because, man, it has been a busy, busy, busy week in the world of cybersecurity. Um, now, I want to start off with some of the stuff that I think is the most directly applicable and that is probably the most noteworthy. And again, it's opinions, right? Everybody's got one and there we are. Now, there's a, a report that came out in Reuters, Reuters, depending on if you're from the north or south or whatever, Reuters, how I call it, July 20th, 2021. Um, basically, what it says, U.S. announces new cybersecurity requirements for critical pipeline owners. Well, I wonder where this came from. Probably fallout from the pipeline hack that happened not too long ago. Now, if you read through here, it's about the Department of Homeland Security basically issued a directive requiring owners and operators of critical pipelines that transport hazardous liquids of any kind and natural gas to implement urgently needed protections against cyber intrusions. Well, thank God we're getting to that in 2021. I mean, all we had to do was have a major compromise that took down basically the entire East Coast. Hooray, we're finally getting to this and we go, yes, you should do this. Now, if you read further, this was the second, and this is not the first, Security directive issued by the Department of uh, Transportation Security Administration after a colonial pipeline hack. So they've done this twice. We've notified folks more than once, and we're still saying you have to do this. The department said the action was in response to ongoing threat to pipeline systems. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro in Mayorkas, said... The lives and livelihoods of the American people depend on our collective ability to protect critical infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yes. The security directive requires TSA designated critical pipelines to take certain mitigation measures to protect against ransomware attacks and other known threats. It also says they have to conduct a cybersecurity architecture design review. With who? Who is going to look at this? I mean, who's the organization? Who's the individual? Who's the the group at DHS that is going to sit there and say, we are going to review all these pipeline architectures and we're going to hold this to account and we are going to track this. And oh, by the way, even after they submit some PowerPoint spreadsheet thingy that says these are their controls and their securities and they've checked the boxes, who's going to actually go out and validate that this took place? You know, this is good. You know, movement is good. Getting people engaged is good. Issuing directives. Okay. Kind of good. But the problem that we continue to have here is that we've got the knee-jerk reaction of legislation and directives and organizations that are doing a whole bunch of things saying thou shalt do this or bad things will happen to you. And in reality, the follow-up and the technical implementation of those things is still not actually there yet. Guaranteed, put my left foot on the block that sometime in the very near future, there's going to be some other related pipeline, critical infrastructure compromise, something like that, because it's going to be one of these things again, where there's no teeth to it. Who's getting in trouble? Has anybody seen the folks from Colonial that we know knew about stuff for a long time and were negligent, overtly negligent in what they were doing 
as far as cybersecurity goes, is anybody going to jail? What's been the punishment? They paid out some ransomware stuff. They get some bad press. Big deal. That is not going to fix anything. This is not going to fix the problem. I mean, yes, is it good that we sort of drive and say that thou shalt do these things? Uh-huh. But we need more. We need teeth behind this. You know, if, if, if you get pulled over by the cops, you get that that sweaty feeling, even if you've done nothing wrong, right? You, even if you weren't speeding, the cops pull you over, you sit there and you kind of grip the steering wheel a little bit harder and you get a little bit nervous and you think about, oh crap, all the bad things that I've done, what do they know about? Well, that's because you know that there's the power of law behind that officer that's going to come up and start asking you some questions. They can do something about it. They can enforce it. They can throw your ass in jail. That's the kind of thing that has to happen here to get people to move. Like it, big deal. I this is this this just drives me bonkers. Like I, I can't imagine. You know, if you look at the salaries that these folks make that are in charge of this stuff, I mean, you're talking six, seven figures, high six, low sevens, like big money, and they just get to walk away and go like, oh, "I'm sorry, I screwed up." Like, no, uh, this shouldn't be okay. I mean, all the way back to Experian and all these other major compromises and all the folks hemming and hawing up on Capitol Hill, we're going to go get them and we'll make them suffer and this will never happen again. You give me a $3 million, $5 million golden parachute, I'll let you flog me on the steps of the Capitol building. Like, I don't care. This, this is not punishment. This is not going to make change. It's not going to implement the stuff that we need to actually make things any better. Now it's nine o'clock in the morning, so I am drinking my uh, Death Wish coffee, which, by the way, super awesome coffee. Not a promotion; they ain't paying me or nothing. But I'm just saying, it says Death Wish. Um, if you're retired Navy, it's really just good coffee. If you're, you know, probably a civilian, it will probably make you jump through the roof. So you know, be aware of that. Now, on top of that, <clears throat> there was a uh, actual indictment that came out this week. Um, up for more folks in China that were named by the federal government as being state sponsors of cyber activity. I think it was actually hack, hacking was what they called it, cyber activity. And folks were like, wow, this is great. This is super. Um, and it's good, right? They were indicted. This came out. Uh, I've read through the entire 30-page indictment. Um, <clears throat> United States District Court, Southern District of California, and basically, this goes back to stuff that was put into play 2019, um, but now it's been put in place. It was filed uh, as of May 28, 2021 at 2.50 p.m., and it gives the names of one, two, three, four groups, or excuse me, individuals that are specifically noted as being uh, actors within this whole cyber espionage APT thing. <clears throat> now... If you have time, you should really go read this. It's not hard. It's justice.gov, and then you can go look it up, find it. Um, but really, what they talk about is the front companies, right? So in 2011, HSSD, which is uh, basically a, a, an arm of the uh, Chinese PRC, uh, Ministry of State Security, um, Hainan Province Ministry of State Security specifically, which is part of the PRC, the People's Republic of China Army, set up a front company, Hainan Jiandun, and again, I'm from Texas, butchering that, Technology Development Company Limited, uh, which held itself out publicly as a fast-growing high-tech information security company located in Haikou City, 
Hainan Providence, providing big data security, security situations, and security technology research committee to explain the development trend of cutting edge science and technology. Now, I won't read through the whole rest of this thing. There's 30 pages, like I said, but it talks about from 2011 to 2018 that these cats, these four individuals were running this front company, that they were the ones who were basically putting a whole lot of these cyber espionage activities in play. Now, that's not news to anybody, right? It's That's just part of the game. But when you go through and you actually get into how they did what they did, it's not super crazy stuff that you would see in some, you know, uh, Tom Clancy movie or whatever else. It talks about bad domains. It talks about credential harvesting. It talks about access. It talks about phishing. Like, there is nothing in here in 30 pages of indictment for these four individuals that were running a front company that were noted as doing stuff uh, in the nation state espionage game. It's basic like hacking 102, maybe not 101 necessarily, but like 102. The, The what really stands out to me that is most concerning is the stuff they talk about as far as these individuals fronting folks money to get them into universities and then giving them USBs and things like that to go and do quote research. And then those individuals would travel across the ocean, come here, go to some university, go into a lab or into a particular environment where they were studying interesting, cool stuff, stick their USB key in because people don't lock that crap down for some crazy reason. And sure enough, they would take the data and then they just disappear and they go back to wherever they came from in China. Um, espionage, that that's not new hat, but because it's in cyber, it's it's this different thing. Point being, that's like that's something that should have easily been stopped. Like if you just locked out USB drives within those organizations and you could do this with a whole bunch of solutions on the you know open Internet, you could buy things. Um, problem solved. Like in the, this is not something that is crazy difficult to stay ahead of. But again, they're going for low hanging fruit. They're going for easy, easy access. They go for where the the goods are. What was the saying from uh, Dylan back when he was robbing banks? Like, why do you rob banks? And he said, well, that's where the money is. Like, why, if you are a nation state like China, do you target universities that are doing research and, and doing innovative thing or in, in, in organizations that are doing innovative things? Well, it's because that's the way that you gain in the national spectrum. You steal other people's stuff and you use it for the purposes of growing your particular economy, your country, etc. And it's not just the Chinese, like every nation state on earth would do this if they could. The Chinese just happen to be better at it than most. Um, there's a reason that if you go look at the, the Chinese space station, it looks a lot like, you know, the ISS. There's a reason that if you go look at the Chinese strike fighter, it looks just like the JSF. It's not because they had some crazy, uh, you know, CIA remote viewer figure it out. No, it's because they had people come over here, stick their USB keys in and take the designs and go back to China and build the stuff. These types of things are things folks should read. Everybody should know about this. And the point that you should really take away is that it's not crazy Tom Clancy, espionage, super James Bondy, whatever. It's, you know, 102 level secure your infrastructure, lock out USB drives, require good access control. Don't let people get fished. So go check that out. I'm probably going to read the thing again because it's um, actually super interesting. Recorded Future put out a really good paper, which uh, I think 
you know, would be totally worth reading. This is from Dmitry Smilyanets. Again, like I, I just, I should just put a disclaimer on my thing. Like I apologize to anybody for names that I read because I suck. But what this is, is um, it's on the record by Recorded Future, published uh, pretty recently. He talks about, he basically went and talked to someone who is a member of the Revil group, the folks that are doing the exploits, that are targeting stuff, that are active in extorting and doing ransomware operations. And if you kind of go through this, like I'm not sure how he was able to get such good interaction, but if you go read it, you can see that this guy's just kind of doing, you know, his job. He's got probably slightly lower morals than a lot of people would have, but it's not not like he's some Machiavellian evil person. I mean, he's found a way to make money and he's good at what he's doing. And he's basically saying like, why should I stop? You know, uh, questions are asked, right? Um, the guy's name, the bad guy's name, or not bad guy, but the, the revil actor, I guess. His name is, he goes by unknown. <laughs> How did you decide to get in the business of ransomware? He says, well, about 2007, um, I just thought that was a good way to make money. Wow, okay. Um, it talks about you had a million dollar deposit on a hacking form and mentioned a hundred million in revenue, basically because you get payments in cryptocurrency. You probably have about a half a billion dollars in your account by now. When do you quit ransomware? When is it enough? And unknown, the ransomware actor says, yeah, that's about right. Um, we, you know, we've got enough. He just says, I'll retire when I think that there's enough money. And then he says below that, but in my opinion, there's never enough. Like, why should I stop? Quoting here, he says, for me personally, there is no ceiling amount. There is not enough money. I just love doing it and making a profit from it. There is never too much money, but there's always a risk of not enough. Essentially, why are you robbing banks? Well, that's where the money is, and I happen to be really good at it. So why would I stop? Now, the, the interviewer says, you said that you guys are apolitical. You don't target political organizations or infrastructure or whatever else. He says, you guys have said that you, the real gang, are financially motivated. Um, could you change your view and decide that you wanted to impact geopolitics is the question that he asks unknown the rebel actor um he just says i don't want to be part of that whole thing he says we accidentally brushed up against politics and nothing good came from it which means that they set stuff up if you follow the news their infrastructure got taken down they had to bump to other things etc so it was a loss for them he said basically as long as we stick to finance we don't have to worry about it you know uh, this is easy for us we can just continue to do stuff in the world of stealing money and working our way through the cryptocurrency system, then we don't even have to worry about it. <clears throat> they talk about, and this is why I think folks should read this stuff. Recorded Future does great work. You know, they, they say, uh, do you, you know, how big is your organization? And of course, unknown doesn't say how big it is, but he says we have partners. Like there is a business ecosystem for ransomware in this space. And the last thing I want to talk about in this particular one is there's there's two parts. Number one, the interviewer asks, do you believe that ransomware is a perfect weapon for cyber war? Are you afraid that it could start a real war? Unknown, the Revil actor says, yes, as a weapon, it can be very destructive. Um, and he said, this is what's pretty freaky. He says, I know that some of our affiliates have access to ballistic missile launch systems, one of which is on a U.S. Navy cruiser and a third 
I'm guessing a third participant or a third uh, member has access to a nuclear power plant and we have access to a weapons facility. It is feasible that we could start a war, but it's not worth it. The consequences are not profitable. So here is an actor and why this is not like on the news right now, I don't know. Here is an actor that does these operations literally saying flat out, we have access to a ballistic missile launch system, a US Navy cruiser, a nuclear power plant and a weapons facility. That's terrifying. Um, that's a problem. That's something that should be active. Like if you ever wanted a reason to enact real cyber change and actually go after targets, there it is. The last thing that he says is, do you, the organization Revil, try to avoid regions in your home country? And he says, yes. He says, we make sure that we avoid Russia, Georgia, Ukraine, all these other organizations, because we don't have a reason to, and I'm quoting here, shit where we sleep. Like they're smart enough that they're not going to compromise organizational infrastructure where they live because they want to keep living there. And as long as they don't do that, the organizations above them that run those countries just kind of turn a blind eye to it. This is you know, super interesting. Um, go read this report. Like it, it's, it's really, really, really good. <clears throat> now, following on to that, there was also a publication, CSA China state sponsored cyber TTS, basically how China does what it does to target organizational infrastructure. I read through the whole thing. It's 31 pages. Um, if you're interested in this space, you should go read what goes on there. But they break down initial access uh, tactics. They break down follow-on access. They break down the way that they uh, you know, execute their command and control infrastructure. That's all well and good. They talk about the procedures. They talk about detection mitigation. But when you really look at it, the majority of what they use to compromise a system and the way that they continue to getting in there, like none of this stuff is super difficult to take care of. It talks about doing things like eliminating PowerShell, uh, making sure that USBs are shut down, making sure that you have good password management, good access, multi-factor authentication. Like I read through 31 pages of this thing and there isn't any stuff in there. And this is from CISA, the NSA, the, the organizations that are in charge of protecting us all that just basically let you know these are not super difficult problems to solve. It's not that these are hard things to do. It's that if you don't factor in and focus on the stuff that actually matters and makes a difference, you're still doing low hanging fruit. You're still enabling low hanging fruit. And that's where they're going to go. If you're a difficult target, they'll find somewhere else. So, you know, mediadefense.gov, there's a whole bunch, just Google CSA underscore Chinese underscore state sponsored underscore cyber. Like if you do that, you'll find what's there and you'll actually be able to get in on it and, and get some defensive strategy uh, tactics that you can put in place. Now, <clears throat> oh, goodness. Uh, NATO came out this week and said that China, uh, you know, there's an article in the Washington Post from John Hudson and Ellen Nakashima, who, again, I'm a huge fan of. U.S. allies accuse China of hacking Microsoft and condoning other cyber attacks. The United States, European Union, NATO, and other world powers on Monday accused the Chinese government of a broad array of malicious cyber activities. 
blaming its ministry. This is where that indictment that I, that I read about earlier came out. But <clears throat> the condemnations represent the first time NATO, a 30-nation alliance, has denounced alleged Chinese cyber attacks. Following Biden administration's pledge in June to rally U.S. allies against Beijing's malignant, malign behavior. Um, the number of nations involved amounts to the largest condemnation of China's cyber aggressions to date. Okay, great. So what? Like, what's the next thing? You know, we, uh, if you ever remember that, that movie, Team America, World Police, where Kim Jong-il is doing bad things and the, you know, they say that Hans Blix is the guy who goes to do the nuclear investigations and he says, uh, you know, we're not going to allow you to do this. And Kim Jong-il says, well, what are you going to do? And he says, we're going to write a strongly worded letter and send it to you repeatedly. Like that's, that's what it is. Um, you know, okay. <laughs> um, po posting blame doesn't really, they don't care. Like, why should they care? What's the downside for them? Um, if I'm gaining as fast as these organizations are, and I'm doing the things that matter to the people in power that take care of me, and you just say you're bad, you're evil. So what? Um, you know, if somebody walks into your house and goes to your fridge and just starts eating your food, and all you do is go like, "Hey, what are you doing? Like, you shouldn't be eating my food. Who are you to come in my home? What? What do you? I mean, are you gonna let that stand? No, hell no. You like you go, you know, kick ass, take names, and get them out of there, and then you deal with whatever comes on the farm. And we can't just sit here anymore and go, "This is bad, not okay." Don't allow this. Um, and I mean, it also it says in here, <laughs> we need to stop treating China as if they have a special need to being held accountable. And we need to act in parity as we have with the other major malicious cyber actors, including Russia. This is from Dmitry Alperovich, who's the um, chairman of Silverado Policy Accelerator, CrowdStrike, all that stuff. So, you know, but there's nothing in here that says what the accountability is. They don't even talk about more sanctions. They don't talk about what's going to happen. Like, it's just more of this, this is bad. This is not okay. It, it doesn't implement change. It doesn't cause anything to be any better off. And honestly, it, it makes you look weaker in the eyes of the adversary. You know, you sit there and you, you kind of see that, um, that that reference of you know the kid on the on the playground that just does whatever they want, beats everybody up, kind of shoves folks around, and the teachers go, "Oh man, he's a really bad kid. We shouldn't allow this." But until you go off and do something, what what incentive do they have to stop? And sanctions aren't going to work. Who cares? Sanctions? Like really? We've sanctioned everything kind of through and through. Like that's not going to make a lick of difference. Now, unequivocally, you know, yes, there are people in windowless rooms fighting the good fight, taking it to the enemy, doing things that will disrupt or cause degradation to their operational infrastructure. And, and then there's, you know, the whole human side and the CIA and all these other organizations doing what they're doing. But at the national level, it, it's, it's good. Again, it's good. Like I applaud them for, you know, saying this is bad. Okay, fine. Great. But if you don't do something about it, saying something doesn't make a lick of difference. In cyber, like you deserve what you tolerate. Maybe, maybe deserves a little bit heavy-handed. You're gonna get what you tolerate. If you let someone push you around and you let them get away and you don't do something about it, you know it's it's not gonna make a change. So I'm, I'm still a big fan of I'm a big fan of Israel. Um, I, you know they they don't. There's a group of folks that you don't mess with and. When the, they were getting attacked by folks in Hezbollah and Hamas cyber-wise, 
they blew up the building that the folks were in. <laughs> no more problem. Like you let them know, like this is not this is not okay. And if you do it, uh, there will be repercussions. And that's what we're missing in the space is actual kinetic repercussion. Now, I mean, China and Russia and these other major major organizations or major countries like this. Yeah, we don't want to go to war, but there's got to be something more than a strongly worded letter is my point. Now, in the realm of, you know, just sort of <laughs> um, not really making much difference for where we're going and, you know, what the what is needed. Um, I'm trying to find the actual article itself, but it, it basically said that there's new legislation that's coming out and this new legislation around cyber is, I think it was five bills that were put through the House that have not made their way to the Senate yet, which God knows what will happen when it goes there because nobody can agree on anything anymore. But it talks about all these new requirements. And one of the biggest ones was a federal requirement for organizations to notify when they have um, been attacked. Okay, good. Again, right idea, right concept. It's a start. It begins to move the ball forward. But We've already kind of had this in different ways, shapes, and forms, and it hasn't really made much difference. We have data breach notification laws have been enacted in all 50 states, and they've been there for a long time. The earliest one goes all the way back to 2002, 2003 for the state of California. If you're, if you're breached, if data has been taken, you must notify the state. Now, there's no federal thing, but we've had this for a long time. And how many times do we actually move on this like this requires an organization to know that it is breached and that something is taking place if if they're not able to know that that problem has already you know been put in uh, been put in play that they've already had a compromise then when are they going to notify you and then when you read into this it talks really more about that the federal requirement will say if you notify us it's almost like a whistleblower thing if you notify us We'll make it where stockholders and folks that are, uh, you know, vested, invested, whatever, in that organization won't be able to sort of, you know, get that information and do trades and everything else. But it's not, it's not saying that that there's a particular, you know, incentive to do this. Like, what's the punitive measure? You, you're counting on the good side of people to do the right thing, when in reality. Like people show you time and time again that when it comes to business and money and all these other particular aspects of you know how we operate as humans, you should probably play to their baser instincts first. Uh, doing a little bit of research, as of 2020, there is no federal data breach notification law. It's 2021 now. This this bill was just recently introduced. Now. That stuff that I was talking about, it's not new. The first time it came around was in 2003 when there was a federal breach notification law introduced. It didn't go anywhere. Um, point being, I don't think we're going to make much change or much difference here. What you see is lots of action, lots of movement, lots of calling out, lots of saying this is bad and and focus on the, you know that we need to do something. But if we don't do something, if there's no punitive measure, if people don't start getting punished for negligence and all these other things and hacking infrastructure and sending people across the pond and inserting USBs to steal intellectual property, if we don't do any of that, then it's not going to make a lick of difference. I mean, 
Look at the nuclear space. We've been telling the North Koreans for decade plus that they shouldn't make nukes. The Iranians, they shouldn't make nukes, but they just continue to do it because why should they care? What the incentive for them to stop is not more, uh, is not bigger than it is for them to just continue what they're doing. So like, if you're not going to act, you're just basically blowing, you know, hot air out into the universe. Uh I don't know. It's, it's crazy what's going on. I think there's more damage coming. Um, I don't think that this is going to implement much change. I think we continue to chase our tail, to be perfectly honest. I applaud the people doing the work. I think that it's good that we see some, some movement. But does this actually make things any different? I don't personally think so. Not fast enough, anyway. So that's what it is for this week. Uh, July 21st. 2021, hot as hell outside. Cybersecurity is still the most interesting place to be, I think, in technology. Um, you know, keep your head on a swivel, stay safe, stay secure. Disclaimer the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.